good morning, good morning. How are you today? Good. Man, that sounds good. A little bit of rain did us some good, didn't it? Love having that rain. Hey, let's welcome into our service Lake Hills Church downtown at Brazos Hall right now. For those of you who are new, we're actually one church in two locations, and so we're excited about what God's doing downtown. You know, I was in college here at the University of Texas when I went to get a bite to eat between classes one day, and I walked into the restaurant and uh, picked up my free copy of the Daily Texan. I wanted to see what was going on in communism around the world, and so I picked up the Daily Texan, and I walked into the restaurant and uh, was seated at a table, and as the hostess was seating me, there was a couple in the booth just opposite, and, and I noticed there, there was a woman who had her back to me, but the guy looked really familiar, kind of a thin face, kind of a real tall, poofy hairdo. And all of a sudden I went, bing, that's Lyle Lovett in the restaurant right here. And I was, I was really, really into Texas singer-songwriters and still am. And I just think the world of what he does. So I, was, I wanted to kind of respect his privacy. And I sat there for a second and I worked on my, you know, breakfast tacos and coffee at 3 o'clock in the afternoon because that's what you do in college. And finally, the girl that was, or the woman that was with Lyle, excused herself, stood up, and, and left the table. And so I thought, I'm just going to say something. I said, hey, I, I don't want to bug you. I, I don't want to bother you. I know you're just kind of chilling out or whatever, but I just want you to know I really dig your music. And if you ever talk to a musician, that's what you got to say. I dig your music. Don't tell them you like it or it's really nice. Go, man, I dig it, man. So I said, I really dig your music. And he goes, oh, thank you. So gracious. And I said, you know, I love your music, but I love what you do with words. You, the lyrics that you write, I think, are just really amazing. And Lyle Levin looks at me and he says, man, we need more people like you listening to radio. It's like, you do, man. Lyle, we're like this. From now on, you and me, Lyle, we're going to take So all of a sudden, he starts asking me questions. You know, what do you do? I said, I'm a student here. And he goes, what do you really, what do you want to do when you get out of college? I said, I'm going to go into ministry. He goes, oh, that's great. And about that time, the his date came back to the table. He introduces us and they stand up and pay their check and they leave. It was the last time I ever talked to Lyle. <laughs> now, I tell you that story because I don't really know Lyle Lovett. Lyle could not pick me out of a lineup. I know some things about Lyle Lovett. I know that he's from Spring, Texas. I know that he attended Texas A&M University with Robert Earl King. Calm down. <laughs> the Lord don't need no whooping in church. Ushers, you have those people marked, correct? <laughs> but I knew that he went to Texas A&M with Robert Earl Keane, and they lived together, and they played music on the front porch, and they wrote a song called The Front Porch Song, and he was married to Julia Roberts. I know a lot of stuff about Lyle Lovett, but I don't know Lyle Lovett. So I'm not name-dropping on you today, okay? I think a lot of people approach the Christian faith the same way I approach Lyle Lovett. They know about Jesus or they know a few things about God or what they have heard maybe second and third and fourth hand. But when it's all said and done, they don't really know Jesus personally. And I think a lot of times people create objections and they raise objections that go beyond mere curiosity or questioning, which is great and valid and important. And they decide that they are anti God or maybe anti-Christianity because of what they have heard or because of what they think they know about God. 
And today we're going to take up one of the primary objections that I hear over and over again as I talk to people who are not Christ followers. And that is the claim that Christianity is exclusive. Or put another way, isn't Christianity really narrow compared to all of the other worldviews or faith systems that are out there? Christianity is different. And I've heard it said before that Christians are arrogant because they believe that theirs is the only way to heaven. And I think it's really, really important that we address this head on as we continue the series, Explore God. What do you do with that? How do you answer that if you are a Christ follower? And if you're not yet a Christ follower and you're kind of kicking the tires, what do you do with that personally? Where do you put that? And I think it's a great place to begin. There's one passage of scripture that's going to kind of serve as our core for the entirety of our time here this morning. There's one passage that really kind of is the root of where we're going to be. I'm going to bring in a few others as we go. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says something really, really important, specifically to Christ followers. The Bible says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So, Right here, it, it commands those of us who are Christ followers, you better be able to have a conversation with somebody. You, you need to be ready. You need to be armed and able to engage with somebody who believes differently than you do. And it begins, Christian, right here at the beginning. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Revere. Look at your neighbor and tell him, revere. revere. Now, this is not talking about Paul. Revere. The word revere, in other translations, it says, set Christ apart. Set him apart. As we talked about last week, Jesus is different. He is distinct. So <clears throat> it's important for those of us who are Christians to set Jesus apart as Lord. He's different from everybody else. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm different. doesn't mean that I have any grounds for arrogance or cockiness or superiority in any way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest things we ever do for our kids is to teach them that they're not special. How many of you know that to be true? I mean, woe be unto the society that we lose our kids upon believing they're special and different. And I know some of you are like, but what about their self-esteem? Listen, we got self-esteem coming out of our ears. How's that working out for you? Our kids, yes, we are unique. Yes, we have value created in the image of God. But I'm no different than you. I'm not special compared to you. You're not that special compared to me. But Jesus is different. And this is where a lot of people get hung up on the Christian faith. And as a matter of fact, there, there's an old parable that has been told for centuries that actually originated on the subcontinent of India. India, which is kind of a home to Hinduism and polytheism, India fabricated this parable to communicate what was believed to be kind of a universal truth, if you will, that really there are many different paths to God, many different paths to heaven, but they're all equally valid. And the way that this is described is the blind men and the elephant. How many of you are familiar with the blind man and the elephant parable? There's a lot of sculpture around the world devoted to this particular parable. And the way the parable unfolds is this, that no one person can claim to know the way to God. 
that there cannot be just one way to God because we are all like blind men approaching an elephant. The first blind man approaches the trunk of the elephant. And the blind man who approaches the trunk of the elephant says that the elephant is like a great hose spewing water everywhere it goes. But the second blind man who is at the body or side of the elephant says, no, 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 no. The elephant is like a great wall, immovable. I cannot get around the wall of the elephant. The third blind man who is at the leg of the elephant says, no, 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 you are both mistaken. The elephant is like a great tree trunk, solid and rooted in the ground, immovable. The fourth blind man says, no, all three of you are wrong. The elephant is like a mighty wind. Okay, that may not be the original version of the parable, but he, said, he grabs the tail of the elephant and as a blind man holding the tail, he says, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that. I saw that sculpture. I've been waiting all week for that line. But the fourth, I'm sorry, the fourth blind man says that the elephant is like a snake. Now, all four blind men are right and all four blind men are wrong. Not one of them has the complete picture of the elephant. And as the parable unfolds, it begins to make sense. And to those of us enlightened 21st century Americans, open-minded, we're like, that's right. Who in the world could claim to have all truth wrapped up? I like the elephant and the blind men. But there's one little problem with the elephant and the blind men parable. The elephant and the blind men parable is not told from the perspective of any of the blind men. It is told from the perspective of someone who sees everything that the blind men can't. And so the person telling this story or claiming this is one who implicitly or it's implied has the complete picture themselves. And so they are telling the story of those who don't have the complete picture as one who does have the complete picture. And so it completely falls apart on itself. You can only claim that nobody can claim the way to the truth if you know all truth. Which again brings us back to where we were a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the Bible. And the reality that we need to open our minds and our hearts up to the possibility that there is absolute truth. That there is an objective truth. If you'll remember, we talked about two kinds of truth a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the take of absolute truth. And if you'll remember, we said that absolute truth would be like 2 plus 2 equals 4. That, that is an absolute truth. That's always going to be the case. 2 plus 2 will never be 5. It'll never be 2. It will always be 4. That's an absolute, always truth. The second take on truth that we talked about was relative truth. Relative truth is the truth that a lot of us, particularly here in Austin, we like that one, that there's no absolute truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Don't tell me that I'm wrong. Don't tell me that there's only one way because I believe in relative truth. Now, I understand where that comes from and, and I get it. But I think there's a, there are a couple of points at which in life we all become absolutists whether we realize it or not. You become an absolutist when you pay bills or when you are a parent. At those two points, everybody believes in absolute truth. When American Express sends you your bill this month and you use American Express so that you don't 
accrue interest charges and rack up consumer debt. You pay it off at the end of the month. They send you a bill, and they come to you and they say, you owe us $236.40. I do not have the right to call American Express and say, dear Amex, I got your bill today, and your truth says that I owe you $236.40. My truth is that I owe you $40. It's on the way. American Express will answer you, Mr. Richard, that is so cute that that's your truth. Send us the $236.40. Got it? Thank you so much. Click. American Express and anybody who pays bills believes in absolute truth. Or parents. Parents who explain life to children, particularly maybe a four-year-old, five-year-old. The favorite question of every four-year-old, five-year-old, why? 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 Daddy, what color is the sky? Blue. Why? Because God made it that way. Why? Because he wanted to. Why? Because. <laughs> every parent in the world has sworn they would never say the following to their kid and then gone back on that promise and said, because I said so. We've all said that at some point. At some point, it just is. I remember a conversation I was having with our daughter, Emily, who's now in college. But when she was much younger, Emily was the type of person, she liked to talk it out. How many, how many of you have daughters who like to talk it out? You know what I'm saying? Now, her brother is completely opposite. Joseph would rather cut off his finger than have a conversation, and that's just part of his charm. But Emily needed to talk it out. And, and, I, and I recognize this need in her, and I, I would listen to a point. And I remember this one particular exchange. We, we'd been talking and I'd been listening for a while. And finally, I just said, Emily, baby, I love you so much. And I, I've listened. Okay. You can never say that daddy ignored me, but I'm done. You just need to admit you were wrong and move on. And through the tears and in the midst of this emotathon, she said, Daddy, I know I was wrong. I just can't convince myself. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> truth is truth. And none of us can claim to have an absolute handle on absolute truth and manage it perfectly. Nobody can. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And real quickly, I want to go back to the second part of that passage from 1 Peter that I told you was the core. Remember the one that said, revere to set apart Christ as Lord? Check out what it says at the very end. But do this with gentleness and respect. Be ready to defend your faith. Be ready to have a conversation with someone who believes differently than you do. Don't water it down. Don't hide from truth. But, everybody say but. but. But do this with gentleness and respect. Here's the deal. You will never, ever argue somebody into the Christian faith. You will never, ever nag somebody into belief in Christ. It's not going to happen. Especially if you're related to them. So we've got to be willing to have this conversation with humility. But that doesn't mean that we need to run from or hide from the reason for the hope that we have. It's imperative that we remember what it is that we're really 
and truly all about. Going back to the blind man and the elephant, the reality is that all truth is narrow. All truth is narrow. Every belief system is exclusive in and of itself. If it wasn't, it would be one that was already here. As I said, revere Christ as Lord. Set Him apart. Jesus is different. But I think we would also admit so is Buddha. Buddha is different. He, he was a human being. Buddha never claimed to be God. He claimed to be enlightened but not God. Jesus claimed to be God. Muhammad, the prophet, a real, live human being. He's different from Jesus. So don't think that Christianity is the only exclusive belief system. Every belief system is exclusive, even the atheist. The atheist has an exclusive belief system. The atheist does not allow room for those who believe in God. So there is that exclusivity in every single belief system, whatever you believe, and that's okay. The question is, why do you believe what you believe? Are you bringing to the Christian faith the same standards that you impose upon your own system of belief? And that's what's really going on here. Because all truth is narrow. Two plus two, that's four. That's never going to be five. Every relationship is exclusive to some degree or another. Even with just a new acquaintance, somebody that you just get a cup of coffee with, that means by definition you're not having coffee with that guy over there. And the deeper the relationship goes, the deeper the exclusivity. When I proposed to Julie, my wife, I, I went to all, I mean, I went and I figured out, I started learning stuff about rings. Guys, how many of y'all remember buying your wedding ring? Can I just see a show of hands? How many of y'all were absolutely, like me, fat, clueless about rings and jewelry when you started? Can I just see a show? Okay. Some of y'all might have known. I didn't know I, E, Q, I, who knows? But I went and bought a ring. I drove across a frozen Chafalaya River Basin on Christmas Eve to get to Mississippi where Julie lived. I proposed marriage. And when I proposed marriage to Julie, I did so with the assumption that our relationship would be exclusive. When I proposed marriage to Julie, I was assuming that she would never more date anybody else. I'm just kind of funny that way. When I proposed marriage and she said yes, I assumed that she would never kiss another man on the mouth. Call me narrow-minded. And guess what? 22 years later, two kids starting a church. So far, she's upheld her end of the bargain. We have an exclusive relationship. This relationship is unique among all other relationships that I have. And therein lies the big difference between Christianity and other belief systems. Christianity is not a belief system. It's a relationship. It is a relationship that you and I were created by God to live in day in and day out. It's relationship. And is that truth narrow? Yeah, it is. But so is every other truth. And that's okay. We don't need to run from that or hide from it. Even if you don't believe that truth is narrow, that is a narrow belief. That's exclusive to you. 
So it's important that we understand that and, and can have this conversation. Again, not angrily, not because I've got it all figured out. I'm going to heaven. You? That's not what we're supposed to do. Do this with gentleness, with respect, with love. Have the conversation. That is what this is all about. Now, <clears throat> I said just a second ago that you can't argue somebody into heaven. You, you can't nag somebody to become a Christian. The greatest truth is love. If you want to convince somebody of something, love them. That's the greatest truth that there is. Even the most scientific, rationalistic, left-brained person among us, the, the person who loves science and formulas, awesome, maybe, maybe an accountant, we have any CPAs in the house? Any, any folks who are that kind of left brain? You, the columns are in the right place. Get that decimal right. I don't use a pencil, only pen. You know what I'm talking about? The most left brained, rational mind among us needs love. The most rational, scientific, empirically based thinker in the world is somebody who responds to love. We need it, and by the way, we need to give it. It's a part of who we are, created in the image of God, God who is love. And so when you start thinking about arguing with somebody, having a conversation, remember to begin, season, and end the conversation with love. Just be willing to listen. You don't have to back down off of your beliefs. You don't have to back down off of your faith. But have the conversation in love because that's the greatest truth that there is. And I know that all of us know people. Maybe you are a person who's tough on the Christian faith. You, you kind of kick back and push back against Christianity for a while. And amongst those of your friends who are Christians, you're kind of like, really? In those instances, I would encourage you to engage with them, but do so with love. Do so on their terms. Hang out with them. Do life. Go get a burger together. But just love them. Be there. Be a friend. It's the greatest truth that there is. And Jesus is truly different. Because Jesus communicates his love for you, his love for me, like nobody else on the planet. No one else died for you. And I realize that this takes some faith to believe. I'm not telling you that it's completely faithless. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus died on a Roman cross. The fact of the matter is Historically speaking, Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on a Roman cross. Yes, the Bible says that, but so do myriad other extra-biblical sources. Josephus was a Jewish historian in the first century A.D., a Jewish historian writing for the Roman Empire. And Josephus, if anybody had 
a stake against Jesus' death being real, it would have been Josephus. And Josephus testifies to the historical accuracy of the death of Jesus on the cross, among others. So there are these extra-biblical sources. Nobody can intelligently argue whether or not Jesus died, whether or not Jesus actually existed. But the reason for Jesus' death is absolutely an article of faith. The reason for Jesus' death is for you, personally. Because you see, we have this condition as people that's called sin. I've got it, you've got it, all God's chilling got sin. Everybody. There's not one person beside Jesus who has ever walked the face of the earth and never sinned. And that sin ruptures the relationship between a person and God. That sin that is in me, that sin that I, I never probably ever had to teach me how to lie. It was, it was just a part of, it was part of the package when I got here. Lucky me. But because that, among others, was a part of me, my relationship with a holy and morally perfect God was ruptured. It was broken by that sin. I think a lot of times people maybe who are not yet in a relationship with God like to think of God as a, a grandfather, a, a, a sweet, loving grandfather who all of a sudden has mellowed in his old age. And he's going like, you come on over here to grandpa. All those commandments, don't worry about it. You come on. And that's not how God operates. God will not, cannot lower his standards to make us feel better about ourselves. But he did something better than that. He offered a repair for that ruptured relationship. When he allowed his perfect son Jesus to go to the cross and there become my sin. There become your sin. And because he became our sin, he died. The end game of sin is always death. When you walk away from the God of life and love, you're walking towards death every single time. It may be a long, slow walk, but it's a walk towards death. Jesus taking it all on himself died on the cross. And in that death was separated from God the Father. But then Jesus did what we couldn't have done for ourselves. Because he is God. He conquered death. He subdued sin. And he rose again on the third day. Now this is a fact of our faith. The grave's empty. The tomb is empty. And that is the sole reason and fact upon which all of the Christian faith pivots. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that whoever believes in him will never die, but will have eternal life. My favorite verse in the Bible is John 17. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus says this. This is salvation, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
that they may know you. And that word in the original Greek language to know is the kind of intimacy, knowing between a husband and a wife, to know each other inside and out, everything about each other, knowing, not just knowing about him. I told you I'd met Lyle Lovett. That wasn't my last exchange with Lyle. Because about a year later, I saw that Lyle Lovett was going to be playing a concert at Green Hall, just south of town. And I have to tell you this, when I was in college, I kind of fancied myself a songwriter. I had no desire to, you know, to be on stage and to tour, to be like Garth Brooks or anything. I, I just, I love to write. And I thought, you know, if I could get some of these songs to Lyle Lovett, I, I, could, I could get a public, I could just be a songwriter. It, it'd be enough for me to hear my songs on the radio. I, I'm going to just, and so I scrapped together some money. I went to a recording studio here in Austin and I pieced together a demo tape of about three or four songs that I had written, put them on a cassette tape and went to the concert at Green Hall with a little manila envelope, my demo tape and a letter that I had written to Lyle. I walked into Green Hall here we go. Lyle Lovett comes on stage with his large band. Da, 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 da. You know, he's kicking about four or five songs into the show. I'm like, okay, here we go. And I walked over and I went to the side of the stage. You know, back Green Hall didn't have a backstage. It's just side stage. And I went back there and there's a big burly dude standing there at the, at the deal and looked kind of like me. And um, <laughs> he was standing there, big, big old beard and scowling. He was watching the stage. And I went up and I said, uh, excuse me could you give this to Lyle when the show's over? And he goes, what's that? So, well, it's a, it's a demo tape and, and some songs that I've written. I want to, you know, he's, he's going to want these. <laughs> and the guy looks at the envelope and he looks at me. No. It's like, I'm sorry, you don't understand what you're doing to Lyle right now. You're robbing him of these songs. He goes, it's not the way it's done. No. I said, okay. He was bigger than I was. So I was like, all right, whatever. Went back to the show. And at intermission, they took a little break. And I walked outside to where I had seen Lyle's bus. I still had my little manila envelope tucked in the back of my jeans. I was like, I'm going to do it. But if I, if I can just get these songs onto the bus, I'm not going to knock on the hey. That clearly doesn't work. And so I kind of looked around to see if there was any security with a firearm or anything. And I took the envelope and real quickly I ran up to the bus and I pulled the windshield wiper off the front of the bus, stuck the envelope up against it and ran off. And that's why to this day I do not have a publishing contract with Lyle Lovett. I think a lot of people have approached Jesus the way I approached Lyle Lovett 25 years ago. You've gone up to somebody and said, hey, could you do this for me? And they're like, no, that's not the way it's done. And so you kind of slinked off with your tail between your legs like I did that night. Or maybe you've kind of done a little hit and run. I'm going to go try the church thing. And you've never gone all in relationally with Jesus. You've never just said, here I am. It's about relationship. 
It's about going all in. It's not hit and run. It's not hydroplaning by the bus. It's not letting one rude person deter you and get, get you sidetracked and distracted. It's just about you and Jesus. Living life in relationship. That's it. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to ask you to just consider your relationship with Jesus. Have you kind of kept him at arm's length? Or maybe have you tried a couple of hit and run, quick strike tactics, and it didn't quite work? Right now as a church, I just want to invite you to go all in. If you're here today and you've never done that, you've never stepped into that relationship with Him, this may be the exact reason God had you come to church today. To begin that relationship, to go all in with Him. It doesn't mean that you have it all figured out. Nobody here does. But it means that rather than just knowing about Jesus, you want to know Him personally. If that's you in this place, then I want to invite you just to pray right where you're sitting an all-in prayer, a prayer of commitment that just says silently, just right where you are, just silently talk to God. He is listening and ready. Just talk to him in your own words and say silently, Jesus, I need you. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me. I confess my sin to you. And right here, right now, I'm going all in with you this moment forward. In Jesus' name, I pray this prayer. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment because this is a sacred, holy moment. But if that was your prayer in this place right here, right now, and you meant it for the first time in your life, I want to ask you if you would just raise your hand. If you just raise your hand with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would, because this is a moment that deserves to be marked in your life. And as a church, we celebrate this moment with you and want to help in this new relationship. Our ushers are going to just hand something down the aisle that will come to you if your hand's up. And that's for you. If your hand was up, to just take that box and begin the process 
of living in a relationship with Christ. As a church family, that moment is why we exist. That moment and hundreds and hundreds of others like it. And so as a church family, we celebrate that with you. We honor that moment in your life. We like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home.